You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, first book in the New Testament, second chapter in the New Testament. That's where it will be this morning. And as you're turning there, I don't know if you saw on Facebook, either on the church's Facebook or my own, but we're starting a reading plan together as a church beginning on January 1st. And you can grab this plan on the way out on the little table over there. And it's going to be through the New Testament, a chronological reading through the New Testament. And it takes about 19 weeks, five readings a week. Uh, That way you've got weekends to either catch up or to read elsewhere. And it's going to be a great time to go through the Bible together as the events unfolded. So you'll see the gospel. Some of the readings will be, you'll be reading a little bit in Matthew and a little bit in John or Mark that day. And then you'll be reading in Acts and then you'll read something in Galatians just to kind of take us through the entire New Testament chronologically as the events unfolded. And so you can grab this on the way out. You can also download it. We're going to email it out to you this week so you can have that. And you can also join the Facebook group that we created so we can, you can ask questions and you can leave comments and encouragements for uh, what you're reading. And I'll try to answer questions and share resources on there as well. Well, in, now in the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew has shown us amazing things about Jesus already. That he is the son of David, he is the son of Abraham, and that he was conceived in the Virgin Mary, and that he was born here to save his people from their sins. And that's what Jesus' name means, as we saw last week. His name means God saves. And I know that over Christmas, you probably remember, hopefully, about Christ being born and him being the Savior. But I wonder, and I think what Matthew is showing us today is, do we really treat Jesus as king? And what's your reaction to him? It's easy to sing joy to the world. It's easy to sing glory to the newborn king. But to treat Jesus as king, to honor him as king in our lives, that's something different altogether. And Matthew shows us today in chapter 2 how King Herod and how the magi, the wise men, respond. They show us the response to this newborn king. And really, it's an allegiance assessment. And that's what we see with Herod, Magi, and with us. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. And we begin in verse 1 of chapter 2. And Matthew, our brother, tells us by the power of the Spirit that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests with scribes and of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this was what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler." who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. For when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was. 
the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph saying, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because those who intend to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your word, the, the word of your son, the, the mission of the spirit to make known the name and fame and hope of Jesus Christ. Would you help us now, triune God? Help us to find our allegiance, whether it's to Christ or to something else, and that it would be now given to Christ. Help us to discern our reactions and our lives to Jesus, the King, right now. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's not every day that a TV show resonates so deep in your core that you're watching a simple sitcom, simple show, and all of a sudden uh, something occurs that you just feel it in your bones. And... No, I wasn't watching This Is Us. I've never watched an episode. We don't have enough tissues, I don't think, if I were to watch one. And I wasn't watching Friday Night Lights. I've never seen that show either. I was watching Parks and Rec. And Leslie Nope, played by Amy Poehler, is engaged to her boyfriend in this episode. And like all engaged couples, they're kind of learning their preferences and opinions and what they like, what they don't like, and they're kind of having a little tension. And one of their early tensions was over Red Vines or Twizzlers. And her family is a Red Vines family. Ben's family, her fiancé, is a Twizzlers family. And in a heated family argument, Leslie, who is often trying to keep the peace and settle everybody down, she makes a critical error when she grabs a bucket of red vines and says, red vines anybody? And her father, soon-to-be father-in-law, stone-cold, old, grisly man, looks at her and says, 
we're a Twizzlers family. And when he said that, I just felt so much joy in my heart. Because it's not because I like Red Vines or Twizzlers. I think they're both disgusting. They both taste like old candle wax. But the reason why I resonated with that moment so much is because I understand and have allegiances to a product that are kind of ridiculous. And you do too. I remember growing up thinking, I don't like Coca-Cola. I can't stand Coca-Cola. I'm going to drink Sprite. I'm a Sprite boy and I'm drinking Sprite. And then one day I looked at the Sprite can and what did I find? A product of the Coca-Cola company. I was devastated. But I'm st- we're a Coke family still. You go to a restaurant and you ask for Pepsi, what do you do? You leave. <laughs> I'll just have water then. We are an Adidas family because of my daughter's soccer and because of the Houston Rockets and all this kinds of stuff. And I just mentioned to my wife the other day, and I love those pairs of Jordans. Those are so cool. And she looks at me and says, never. We are a three-stripe family. You will never wear Nikes. You have allegiances too. You have a response when your allegiance is tested. And that's really what Matthew is laying out to us today, that when there is news of this newborn king, the Magi respond and Herod responds, and he's inviting you to say, what is your response? What's your response to Jesus? I mean, Matthew, look at, look at verse 1. Look at these high-powered phrases and things that are now attached to this toddler Jesus. And the reason why I'm calling Jesus a toddler in chapter 2 is what age group does Herod want to eliminate? Two and under. And the star doesn't arrive at the manger or at the end. The star arrives at the house. So that this, is, this is a different scene now from what was in chapter 1. But look at what is attributed to this toddler Jesus and why the Magi arrive. Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. This is, these are amazing phrases being given to Jesus. But before we can dive into them, there's things we got to work through. How many wise men are there? Do not say three. We do not know. Three gifts were given, but we don't know how many wise men. But I think we can say it's more than three because three members of the astronomy club are not going to get a meeting with King Herod. Three stargazers aren't going to get to walk into King Herod's palace. Hey, I want to ask King Herod a question. That's not happening. But if a caravan of wise men with gold and people who will protect the gold from bandits on this journey. You can't imagine just three guys are walking around carrying a bunch of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They've got camels. They've got swords. They've got guards. They've got people. And these people are now caravanning into Jerusalem. That's going to make a noise. And Herod brings them into his palace, and they ask him the question, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star. We want to worship him. So go ahead, you are free to throw out the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. It's not true. One, they're not kings, they're magi, wise men, and there's not three. So what are magi? 
Wise men, magi are scholars, the intelligentsia of their country, wherever that is in the East, either Persia, Babylonia, modern day Iraq. We don't know exactly where they're from. But back then, the magi, it was, they were a combination job. They were astronomer. They studied the stars, the planets, the constellations, and all of those things, and comets, and all of that. And they were also astrologers looking at the sky for a logos, astrologer, a, a message, a word from the sky. And these two jobs back then were put together. It seems odd to us that you would be working at NASA and also reading palms, but that's what these people did at the same time. They were astronomers and astrologers. And shockingly enough, they receive a logos. They receive a message from the stars, from the sky, their interpretation. And what is it? Look at verse two. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Why are we asking this? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. We saw a star. Where is he at? The king of the Jews. And notice this, beloved. This is huge. Look at what they say. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Look at what they don't say. They don't say, where is the one who will become king of the Jews? Where is the one who is going to become king of the Jews? That's not what they ask. They say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Who is the king of the Jews right now? Already king. We want to see the newborn king. Do you know where he is, Herod? We don't care about you, but maybe you know where he is. Where are they having this conversation? In Jerusalem, in the capital city. So the king's got to be here, right? This is, this is your capital city. Surely you know where this new king is. King Herod, the acting king of Israel, is hearing, you're done. Where's the toddler? That's who we're looking for. They're basically saying, your time is up. You aren't the real king. Where is the true king of Israel? And they understood all of this from the stars. How? I don't know how. But I do know this. Psalm 19 says what? The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. They see this star and they want to now worship this newborn king. Beloved, what's already been attributed to Jesus? The Magi have made high-powered statements about Jesus that Matthew wants you to catch and say, this is how I should be responding to. It's all in verses 1 and 2. That this, this Jesus, he's the king he, he is so much of a king, he has a star dedicated to him, a star that serves to show his location on planet Earth and that he is worthy of worship. A king with, a, with an astronomical body dedicated to him, and that means you all should worship him. That's the Magi's response. What is yours? Are you ready to worship him? Are you ready to exalt him? Are you ready to make much of him? The Magi arrived for this purpose. And I wonder why you arrived here today. Did you come here today? Because it's Sunday. That's what you're supposed to do. I mean, I came here because, you know, I, I just need a, I've had a hard year and I, I need to get my life back in order. 
I know I just want to hear some, some good spiritual pick-me-ups, fill up my tank and to get me going throughout the week? Or did you come here for the only reason that is the ultimate best and true reason? Because I want to worship Jesus. Because I want to hear about him from his word and I want to sing to him in song and I want to be around those who also worship Jesus and I want to eat his body and his blood by faith, remembering that he's my risen savior. What is your response to Jesus? And if it's anything less than that, it could be because your view of Christ has been domesticated. That your view of Christ has been shrunk down where it's barely even distinguishable from how you view other people in your life, from how you view George Washington, from how you view uh, your favorite celebrities, how you view your favorite athletes. That you've maybe forgotten the true kingship of Jesus over your life. Or beloved, maybe it's possible that you think you've already got what you need from Jesus. He gave me eternal life. He's forgiven my sins, his cross, his resurrection. What else do I need? We need everything from Jesus. He gives us everything we need, everything we could want in this life, in the life to come. He offers it all to us in him. These magi understood the significance of Christ. They leave their country, travel across, bring expensive gifts. How about our lives with Christ? And I wonder if some of us, we think it's, that maybe we're not as close to Jesus or, or walking with Jesus as we'd like to be because we're an outsider. We're an outcast. You didn't grow up in church. You don't understand church culture, church culture and, and Christian speak. You don't have a favorite hymn. Like I, I remember when I'm around Christians who they came to faith in, in adulthood. And sometimes you can be around people who they grew up in the church, they've been there all the time, and then you're around Christians who became a Christian in, in adulthood, and you're talking about favorite hymns, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I don't know any of those old songs. The only songs I know are the ones we sing. I like those. Let's talk about those. And so sometimes you can feel like an outsider, that you're not a part. You don't get it. You don't get the Christian stuff. Well, think about these magi. They don't have a favorite psalm. They are outsiders. They are outcasts. They are, the one, they are Gentiles. They are the ones that Israel looked at as dirty, not to be associated with. And then on top of that, they have an idolatrous job looking for words in the sky. But God revealed his mercy to them. Well, we're already seeing the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. The, uh, written to a Jewish, predominantly Jewish audience is Jesus drawing Gentiles, outsiders, and outcasts to himself. Because God saves outsiders. God saves those who seem far off. God saves those who seem like they would not fit in. We saw that in Jesus' genealogy. Rahab, Tamar. And we see it here again, Magi. Because, beloved, we're all far off. Even if we're familiar with our Bibles and we're familiar with churchianity, we can still be far off from Christ. Because self-righteousness and unrighteousness, the antidote to both of them is Christ's righteousness. 
And the Magi have now revealed their allegiance to Christ. We want to worship him. They're seeking him, are you? One of the things that strikes me so much about these Magi is that they made a trek across countries to worship Jesus. And some of us, we struggle to drive 21 minutes on Sunday morning to come worship Jesus. We struggle to crack open our Bibles to worship Jesus on Tuesday. We forget to pray. And I'm there too sometimes, thinking, I can do this on my own. I know Jesus is king, but I'm going to figure this out. I, I know what I should do. Instead of remembering, I have a king that I can appeal to. Lord, what would you have me do? And as Spurgeon said, those who look for Jesus will see him. And those who truly see him will worship him. Have you seen Jesus? And you know you have really seen Jesus by faith if you want to worship him. No ulterior, ulterior motive. Just, I just want to worship Jesus. What does Herod want? He says, I want to worship him. Verse 8, he sends the Magi to Bethlehem and says, go find him and tell me so I too can go and worship him. But he has a different allegiance, doesn't he? He has an ulterior motive. The Magi want to honor Christ. Herod is horrified by Christ. When, look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed about the king of the Jews being born, the star, that they want to worship him. And all Jerusalem with him. So he assembles the chief priests and the scribes. You'll, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, you'll become very acquainted with this group, the chief priests and the scribes. They are the constant foe of Jesus throughout the Gospel of Matthew. He asks them where the Christ would be born. They tell him, in Bethlehem. So all Jerusalem is a panic. You think they'd be rejoicing. Our Messiah, we've heard he's been born. They, they said it. Herod, you think he'd be rejoicing. Great. But no, listen, and Herod is a bad, bad, bad dude. He was brutal. He's not even Jewish, and he was put in charge over this area because he is a great military leader. He was brilliant at developing the cities and economies and building structures. But he was so brutal that he even had his own sons killed who were a threat to his reign. He even had one of his own wives killed because he, he thought she was trying to push him out. He was so brutal that Caesar Augustus said famously, I would rather be one of Herod's pigs than be one of his sons. That's a Roman ruler. Caesar going, man, I wouldn't want to be in Herod's line. And now here come these magi. Hey, we're looking for the king, not you. Do you know where he is? No wonder all Jerusalem's going, oh, great, here we go. We're about to have a war break out in our town because Herod is crazy. Herod's worried about his rule. He's worried about his throne. He's worried about his identity. He's worried about his prominence. He's worried about his legacy, his lifestyle, his everything, because he knows Jesus is going to ruin it. And is that you? You've considered believing in Jesus. You've considered following him. You're, you're, you're toying with the idea. You're here. But you wonder if giving up your weakened drunkenness is really going to be worth it. You wonder if giving up your immoral relationship, if giving up those weekends you get to have with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or someone else that you're not married to, your lifestyle, your pursuits, is it really worth it? 
And I remember being in Louisville and evangelizing a, a Muslim cab driver, and he wanted to believe and said, Allah, he did not save me from my sins. You're telling me Jesus of Nazareth, he died for me, he's God, and that he would save me from my sins? He said, oh, I want that. I said, well, then believe. He said, I'm trying. I said, well, then believe. But then know this, you have to leave Islam behind. And he almost believed, but then he said, I, I can't do that. I can't leave it behind. And I said, then you can't have Jesus. You, you cannot love anything more than him. See, he almost thought Jesus was worth it, but then he realized I, to himself, no, Jesus must not be worth it. Is Jesus worth it to you? That if you profess your faith in him, that yeah, you might lose some friends. Yeah, you might be seen as weird. And if you look at all of these things and you weigh it all out and go, you know, I'm not sure if Jesus is worth it. Friend, I want to tell you, you already have a God and it's you. But Jesus invites you to come to him, to find eternal life in him and discover him for real. Not like what Herod does. Look at what Herod does in verse 4. Herod assembles the chief priests and scribes of the people and asks them where the Christ would be born. And I love, the, I love what happens next. Verse 5. In Bethlehem of Judea, how do they know that? Because this was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and he talks about how the ruler would be born. He asked them, where's the Christ? And the, these chief priests and scribes say, we know this one. We know the Bible. Bethlehem. I love this on one level. The Magi receive this incredible sign in creation. Somehow, interpret it somehow. A star, Christ, Jerusalem, go. They go, and then it leads them to the Bible. This is the, the point of miracles and signs and wonders that we hear about that happen all throughout the world. And you can think whatever you want about people that have dreams or people who got something. I mean, I've heard stories in the Middle East of people having dreams and them writing down their dreams, remembering them, and then showing them to a missionary. And that missionary saying, this is roughly the gospel of John that they have written down. Let me tell you about this one. These miraculous signs and wonders all lead back to the scriptures. It's to reveal Christ and so if you think your Aunt Tetum saw a cloud that looked like Jesus, good for her. Tell her about Jesus then. If you think you saw a message from God in your kid's alphabet soup, go to the Bible and see what the Bible says. Now what do the chief priests and scribes do? After they tell them it's Bethlehem, they say, Bethlehem's just south of here. We'll show you the way. We're eager to go see the Christ too. Let's all go together. Is that what happened? No. They don't do anything. They don't slip out the back door when Herod isn't watching. They just said, oh, it's Bethlehem. Nothing else. Totally ignore the Magi. Totally ignore their testimony. Totally ignore a star, a possibility. This could be really happening. They're totally apathetic and don't care. And sadly, that's some of us today too. You know what the Bible says. You know the verses. You know the doctrine. You know the hymns. You know the songs. But when it comes to living it out, to pursuing Jesus, to following him, to worshiping him, to obeying him, you're really nowhere to be found. You see the scriptures. You know that they say, love your neighbor, but instead you harbor hatred and bitterness and look down on unbelievers instead of praying for them and loving them. 
you ignore that annoying coworker, other than loving them, hoping you can share the gospel with them. You see the call to make disciples of all nations, but you've never talked to someone about Jesus your entire Christian life. You don't know a single person from another nation, and yet we live in the most diverse city in the United States of America. I've been there too at times. Times when I don't want to hang out with some of our non-Christian friends. Because I'm tired. I don't want to work on building the friendship and building those bridges towards talking about Jesus at that time. I just want to eat popcorn and my flannel pajama pants and watch Netflix. But then I'm reminded of my selfishness. That my life isn't my own. That when I was crucified with Christ, I was raised to a new life with him. And now his mission is my mission. And I'm not allowed to just be like the, ch the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and hear the word and then not respond to it. Beloved, what is your response to Jesus? What is your response to the king? Do you see him as the magi do? Worthy of worship, sacrifice, going, following, who cares what anyone else thinks? Or are you like Herod and Jesus? He's just kind of a problem to me. I mean, I like him in his space, but I don't want him invading my space. Fine to be some kind of religious figure, but don't you dare start invading my life. Tell me what to do with my money. Tell me what to do with my parenting. Tell me how I must talk to my spouse. Tell me I'll have to act at work. Tell me about my, my romance and my identity. See, the rest of this passage drills down further now into the responses of Magi and, and Herod. Look at verse 7. So Herod secretly summons the wise men, tells them to go. And, but notice verse 7 already. There's something happened, very subtle, but significant. Then Herod, no longer King Herod. He's King Herod in verse 1. In the days of King Herod. Now in verse 7, then Herod. Why? Because he's not the king anymore. Matthew is trying to show us the new king has already landed. And anytime Herod's name now is mentioned, you see it later in verse 13, verse 16, verse 19, just Herod. Because the new king, Christ, is here. Now Herod lies and says he wants to worship Jesus, but he wants to kill Jesus. And Jesus will be hunted the rest of his life in the Gospels. And Christians will be hunted the rest of our lives all throughout the world. It's happening today. You have brothers and sisters around the world who are hiding from the government. And it should not surprise us. The, Jesus is already hiding from the government as a child in Egypt. And it, we should not be surprised when our government begins to turn on us even more, as is already happening And just like Pharaoh in Exodus, Herod wants to get rid of all the Hebrew babies two years and younger, two years and younger in Bethlehem. The Magi want to worship. Herod wants him eliminated. He wants him snuffed out because he's a threat. The Magi offer treasures showing our hearts. They're on display and they're now in the proper orbit with you. We offer it to you. This is all yours. Our gold, our frankincense, our myrrh, it's not ours. Even the posture of my life doesn't belong to me. I'm going to fall on my knees in front of you because when we see Jesus rightly, when we see Jesus rightly, he reorganizes all of our disordered loves. 
things that are all out of whack and things that are all out of balance. When we see Jesus rightly, he takes our disordered loves and he puts them all back in the right place. And look at what he uses to bring these magi to himself. Verse 10, nine, they saw the star at its rising. There it is. It led them until it came and stopped at the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. It's an incredible book that you can read. I read it last year called The Christ Comet, where it makes the case using ancient astronomy records um, that God sent a comet leading them with the tail and everything showing being this location in Bethlehem. Right there, God's providence and sovereignty sending this object, a comet flying through the sky at this time, at this place, in this space in history, all planned by the sovereign God. And their response is exactly what ours should be, overwhelmed with joy. This is what Jesus brings, beloved. When you really know Jesus and who he is and what he does, joy and happiness comes just spilling out of us because in him is everything we need. I mean, when is the last time you were truly overwhelmed by Jesus? That you just thought about your sins and your past and your present and your future and who he is and you realize Jesus is so amazing. See, some of us, we need to be saved from our Christianity and saved to Christ. Some of us need to stop thinking about Christianity and think about Christ. Doctrine is important. Theology is important, but you cannot have a relationship with theology. You cannot be saved by doctrine. You are saved by Jesus of Nazareth. And that in him is my salvation. In him is eternal life. In him is forgiveness. In him is deliverance. In him is the promise that you will be raised from the dead at the end of the age. In him is how you will have an inheritance in this world, in the future. And in him is the testimony that you are loved. In his body and in those nails piercing his skin and in those arms tied to a crossbeam and in a body wrapped in, no longer wrapped in swaddling cloths, but now wrapped in burial cloths. And then a stack of folded up burial clothes. And an empty tomb is a testimony that you are loved and that you are saved and that you are set right with God and that now there is no condemnation for you because you are in Christ. When is the last time you sat back slack-jawed over Christ? When you know the sheer tonnage of hope that Jesus brings, you are overwhelmed with joy. And if Jesus bores you, which I know a lot of you are bored by Jesus, some of you, I can just see it on your faces. Not just today, every Sunday. If you are bored by Jesus, you either don't understand him or you've undersold his awesomeness or you have underrealized your awfulness. You have either undersold his awesomeness or you have underrealized your awfulness. Outside of Christ, we are terrible people. I am a horrible person, deserving hell, deserving death, deserving wrath. But because of the awesomeness of Christ, he gives me new life. This is what Jesus brings us. And this is why when they see the child, look, look at verse 11. 
entering the house. They're not at the manger. They're not at the end. There's two years later, they're at the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, this two-year-old toddler, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. You've been around a two-year-old. Picture a group of men coming before this two-year-old and falling to their knees, not to scold him, not to wipe peanut butter and jelly and Cheeto dust off of his face, but to fall to their knees and then to go lower and worship. This is what Jesus is worth. This is what Jesus deserves. And they offer him gifts. Look at what they give him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are not toddler-approved toys. These are not toddler gifts. What are they for? A king. They pay homage to Jesus as a king, and they give their allegiance to Jesus as God. How about you? I know you may respect Jesus. That's not the same as worshiping him. I know some of us, we don't go out of our way to blaspheme Jesus, but that's not the same as worshiping him. People in the Bible Belt, we often think, if we aren't defaming Jesus, then that's enough. I'm okay. Wrong. Not defaming Jesus is not enough. You need to be faming Jesus. Believing in him, loving him, following him, having your allegiance given to him because he came to save you with his cross and with his resurrection from the dead. And they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh because he's a king. But there's a special connection with the myrrh. Myrrh is a fragrance. It's a aloe. It's an oil kind of thing. It could be a lot of different methods and modes. But do you know when Jesus receives myrrh again? So at two years old, around his toddler age, then the gospel of Mark says on the cross, as he's hanging there naked, crucified, soldiers tried to give Jesus wine mixed with myrrh. And he refuses it. See, the Magi called him, where's the one born, king of the Jews? What sign is hanging over Jesus' head at his crucifixion? Here is the king of the Jews. Imagine we're asking, where is he? The sign over Jesus' head says, here he is. And there he is receiving myrrh on the cross. And the last time is in the Gospel of John. Jesus is dead. They're wrapping his body in the burial cloths. And the Gospel of John says, and he, they arrive with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe and spices to bury him in. He receives myrrh at the beginning of the Gospels. He receives myrrh at the end of the Gospels to make us realize everything that happens in between. His life, his teachings, his healings, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He went through all of that so you could be saved. So you could be risen from the dead with him. Herod did not believe that this is the Christ. He viewed Jesus as a problem. And he did whatever he could to get rid of him. Extreme brutality to get Jesus away from him. Get rid of all the Hebrew boys from Bethlehem. It didn't work. The chief priests and scribes who we met, we will see throughout the rest of this book, they will fulfill Herod's original mission, they think. They will get Jesus brutally killed, but he will rise again. And what we must realize about Herod is that there is a deep Herodness in all of us. There is a deep Herodness a Herodian complex in all of us with our selfishness, our anger, our power, desire for power, 
our self-righteousness, our selfishness, our pride, our own inflated self-importance, our taking advantage of the weak, our manipulating situations when we can, our fake devotion, our fake religion. This is in all of us too. But Jesus the Christ came to take it all away. And his empty tomb is the advertisement. Jesus can offer you an exodus. That's why when he says he fulfilled this word, out of Egypt I called my son, bringing all the way back to the exodus of God bringing his people out of Egypt. And he says, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of the exodus. He can bring you out too. And him moving to Nazareth, as the prophets say that he would be a Nazarene, this reminds us that Jesus is willing to identify with the lowly and the forgotten. We, may, we don't know much about Nazareth, but this will capture it. Frederick Buhner, a New Testament scholar, says that Nazareth is nowheresville. You wonder how important Nazareth was? Nowheresville. It was nothing. It's like you find some small little town in Texas. Nowheresville, nothing. That's where Jesus lived and is from. Not Rome, not Jerusalem, not these places of great importance. Nowheresville. And you know why? Why would he go to a town that's forgotten that no one cares about? Because God is showing us. He's exemplifying the reality that God cares about the people that we think no one cares about. That God identifies with the lowly, the overlooked, and the forgotten. That person in Iraq. That refugee. That person in Syria. The single mom in the suburbs of Houston having a hard time the widower, the orphan, the foster kid, the disabled, those with Down syndrome, the poor. Jesus of Nazareth is a savior of those who are overlooked and forgotten, of those who, according to our world, their lives are nowheresville. Jesus says, I came from nowheresville, and I came to save people whose lives are at nowheresville like where I came from. He came to fulfill all these Old Testament hopes, all these starry hopes, to invite our allegiance to him, where he says, I am building a kingdom filled with people whose lives are nowheresville. I am building a kingdom filled with tax collectors, women of the night, of cheats, ex-cons, fakers, manipulators, persecutors of the church, liars, adulterers. I'm building my kingdom with them. And I'm turning them into a kingdom of priests. Jesus invites you into his kingdom. Invites you. Give your allegiance to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Don't be more loyal to your soda than you are to Christ. Don't be more loyal to your Nike check or have more allegiance to three stripes than you are to your Savior this year and for the 10 billion years to come. Long live the King. And let's worship him together. Let's pray together now. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.